All right, well, I have a, a guest this morning, a good friend of mine named Lucy, very lovely daughter, no bias at all. And uh, Lucy's going to get us started today. She's going to read the passage for us. So, Lucy, if you will, just hold that close. Acts 9, 19 through 31. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gates so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in the large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the other believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. When Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul, he also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him to Caesarea and <laughs> sent him to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it was stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers. Good job. All right, thank you. Very good. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice in the power of your word. God, we thank you that we are, we are never left alone. And God, that's true when it comes to the living word of God. But it is also true that we have a risen Lord. Um, Father, your spirit has been poured out. And the last thing the church is meant to do is um, to fall into systems and rules and rituals without the relationship, without the power, without the love, and the evidence of heaven. And so, Father, we ask you to align us with your heart, with your purposes. God, today, would you give us ears that hear, and um, God, lives that, that just respond to you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, two weeks ago, um, we saw a man's life change in an instant. We did. Um, this fellow Saul went from a wild pit bull to a tame kitten, just like that. Um, he went from the big bad wolf to a fluffy little sheep. And, and, and again, we, we are talking instantaneous. And so the question is, how does something like that happen to a person? I mean, physically, it's like Steve Keller, five foot six, 48 years old, suddenly turns into Manute Bull, right? Uh, African-American sinner, seven foot six. It just doesn't happen. Spiritually, this is incredible that a person could flip like this. Absolute change out of nowhere. So the question I want you to hold on to for a little while is how does this happen to a person, okay? And we will get to that in just a minute. For now, though, Lucy just read to us a passage, and in the passage, Saul is stepping out of the shadow of his former life. He's also stepping out of the shadow of, of some alone time with the Lord, and here he is, all of a sudden, a brand new man. 
And what unfolds, again, in the passage my beautiful Lucy just read is astounding, okay? It is a mixture of wild, wonderful, and very, very strange. Now, here is why it's strange. It is a tale of two cities, okay? Damascus and Jerusalem. So we have two different places, but in each one of these places, seven significant things happen to this man, Saul. But in both cities, it's the exact same seven things, okay? And when we get into this, you're going to see some of this stuff is just, it is so out of the ordinary, and yet it happens not only here, it happens over there. So Damascus and Jerusalem for Saul, y'all, they're like mirror images of one another, all right? Very different. So it all starts off in verse 19, Damascus, and Saul steps right out of his alone time with God, right? And he goes right into relationship with the disciples, okay? So he moves from a brand new relationship with God to a brand new relationship with believers. Now, you might hear that and go, well, I mean, I'm sure that's significant in some way, but it doesn't sound that strange. It doesn't sound that amazing, that really that significant, but it is a big deal. Because what we're seeing in the life of Saul right away is that there are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. There, there, there are none. Now, Saul used to be a lone wolf, right? He was a lone wolf. He did things his own way. And as a wolf, well, he pretty much lived up to, to you know, his DNA. He attacked the flock of God, and he attacked the sheep of God. That's what wolves do. But see, Jesus, we read about this two weeks ago. Jesus got a hold of this guy. Jesus changed this man from a wolf into a sheep, and I know some of y'all who have watched Moonstruck, the one thought that's going through your mind is, a wolf without a hand, a sheep without a foot, no, a bride without a foot. Forget all that right now. But Saul has been turned from a wolf into a sheep, and so the most natural place for this man now to be is with the flock of God. So we see him go to the flock, to the leadership, to these leaders, and, and what we're seeing for Saul also here is that things are going to change in his life. Saul's way of doing things is changing dramatically here. So this new beginning as a believer means a whole new way of doing life and doing anything God calls him to. And I know we look ahead into Saul's life and we say, well, you know, now later on, Saul does do a whole lot of solo ministry, you know? Saul steps up. Saul goes over here to encourage the church. But again, the point is that Saul is never alone again, never truly alone. He is in partnership with the church of Jesus Christ. So in Damascus, this first thing is very significant. He builds relationships with, with those who are leading the church. Now, the, the second significant thing that happens to Saul in Damascus is that when he goes to the leadership of the church, they are very skeptical of Saul, all right? Think about it. Would you be Please say yes, right? Do you remember everything we learned about this man last week? You know, he's on the attack. He's a killer. You know, we, we likened him to like Idi Amin, Adolf Hitler. This is a terrible man. And, and, and so for these, uh, you know, for these leaders, they're looking at him walking in the door and they're going, wait a minute. A couple of days ago, this man's life ambition was to wipe out every trace of Jesus Christ from the face of the earth, and now here he is, and supposedly he's all full of Jesus and full of goodness and full of love. So that first conversation, 
as he stayed with them for a few days, there's a reason. Their first conversation went something like this. Brother Saul, you need to explain to every single one of us how you just went from Attila the Hun to Mother Teresa. Explain. And so Saul's got to do this. He's got to tell them who he is. And apparently, he was pretty convincing. These disciples hear his story. They see the new man before them, and they are convinced that Saul is legitimate, that he's the real thing. Now, how do we know that? Because of verse 20. What do we read in verse 20? Before we know it, Saul is out on the street, and he's doing thing number three. He is preaching Jesus Christ to everybody. And, and, yeah, and we, and we might say, you know, some of us say woo, and some of us say, hey, that's kind of quick, you know? But here's why he's got to do it right away. Saul has got a burning testimony of the love of God, of the mercy of God, of the forgiveness of God. You talk about a poster child for redemption. This is the man. People have to hear the story. And so Paul goes out, and he says, look, listen, this, this Jesus Christ, the one I persecuted, the one I said was a fable. He is the Son of God. He saved me. He forgave me. He accepted me. He took me into his family. He called me to serve him. My whole miserable, rotten life before, it's a do-over. That is a message the hopeless need to hear. That's a message the lost have got to hear. You know who else needs to hear it? Even the religious especially the religious. They need to hear this message. So Paul is out there. And y'all, this is an amazing testimony he's got to share. But none of us are really surprised by the reaction of the crowd, okay? This is significant thing number four. Now, some of your Bibles read that the audience was amazed. Some translations read astounded. The best Greek translation is freaked out, terrified. I mean, And you've got to imagine their reaction. I mean, these people are undone by the guy who's before them, and you can just see the crowd looking at one another and saying, hold on, wait just a minute. Wait just a second here. Isn't that the guy who came here to kill us, you know? I I tell you, he looks like Mad Dog Saul. That's Mad Dog Saul. It's got to be him, but it can't be him. But I'm telling you, it's him. This is the guy who, when he walked the streets, you know, when he walked the streets, he clinked. He rattled from all the chains and all the handcuffs. He came here to lock us up for Jesus Christ, and now he is proclaiming freedom in Jesus Christ. So the people are reluctant. They're not sure if they can buy into, you know, Saul the evangelist yet. And so significant thing number five happens. God has to step in, and God has to help Saul out. Verse 22 Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Now, just so you know, growing more powerful and proving Jesus Christ is the Messiah, there's a 99% chance that this does not refer to miracles, okay? Um, the, The reason I can say that is in Scripture, when a miracle happens, you will either specifically hear what the miracle is, or you'll read something like, and Jesus did many miracles. What this is about here is that, G- that, that God so anoints Saul's preaching and Saul's words that he is like Stephen from Acts 6.10. It says there, no one could stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit and 
in Stephen as he spoke. That's the same thing going on with Saul. In other words, when Saul preached the message, people were like dominoes, okay? They either fell into Christ or they took a step back and said, you know what? If we're going to come after somebody, if, if, if we are professional hecklers, we're not heckling that guy. And you also saw in the Scripture, it said, look, no one could refute his proofs. So, man, Paul is quite a preacher right out of the gate. And then we have thing number six, which is really evident throughout the passage, and it's just Saul's courage and Saul's boldness. And and I know it's easy to say, well, you know, that's probably just the way Saul was wired. You know, some of us are a little more timid, others a little more forward, but we've got to remember the context here, okay? Where is Saul doing this preaching? He is doing this preaching in public, okay? Saul is on the street. So, he is preaching to a crowd. Some of them are very hungry. Some of them are like, feed me, Lord. I'm interested. What does he have to say? But, but also in that crowd are the very same Jews that were going to help him when he got to, uh, uh, to, to Damascus as, as pre-Jesus Saul. These are the same guys that were going to help him uh, kill Christians, So, Saul has stepped up to the front lines, and the enemies of God, they are locked and loaded, right? And then thing number seven happens, they turn their guns on Saul. Verse 23 says, immediately, they conspired together to kill this man. Verse 24, day and night, they watched the city gates looking for an opportunity to murder this guy. So, so do you see the irony here for Saul? He came to Damascus to persecute Christ. Now here he is in in Damascus and he is being persecuted for the sake of Christ. I mean, he even has a Moses experience for crying out loud, right? Lowered in a basket. You know what I mean? He's almost like a grown-up baby Moses in a basket being delivered here. It's an incredible story, seven incredible things. But what's, what's, I think, equally incredible is as you go from verses 19 to 25, which are in Damascus, and you go over to verses 26 through 30 in Jerusalem, the same thing happens all over again to Saul. He reaches out for church leadership, relations. Uh, He's initially mistrusted. He preaches Christ like a man on fire to a pretty scared audience. He is empowered by God. He's emboldened by God. And at the end of the story, he ends up suffering persecution. He goes to Jerusalem after three years in Damascus, and the whole thing happens all over again. You know what we call that? Bill Murray. Groundhog Day. Saul has a Groundhog Day, right? I mean, that first set of events, nobody could have orchestrated that, but for it to happen all over again, folks, Saul literally has a Bill Murray Groundhog Day. And why God did this I can't tell you for sure. I mean, I've got some good guesses as to why I think God did the same thing, you know, almost mirror for mirror in another place three years later, but, but it's really not the point. What is the point are the results of Saul's holy groundhog, groundhog Day. They are phenomenal. When we finish up this passage, Lucy, you did so well with this, sweetheart, but it ended with these words. It says, the church throughout Judea, and this is coming directly from Saul's labor, The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the church increased 
in numbers. You know, last week, Randy Forbes was here, our congressman, and, and he made the point. I, I started laughing because I was like, man, it's like he's reading my notes for next week. But he started talking about the power of one. You know, oh, we're waiting for everybody else to move. But he says, you know what? We can rise up as believers, and the power of one just gets magnified in the kingdom of God. That's Saul, one man. And look at what happens in the church. The persecution lifts. The church is empowered. It grows in number. They're living in the fear of the Lord. Amazing. Amazing story. Y'all ready to go back to the beginning and answer the first question? How does a thing like this happen to a person? How do you go from a pit bull to a kitten like this? How do you go from the big bad wolf to a fuzzy sheep? How can somebody be so evil and do so much evil and then turn around and become so good and do so much good. We sing a song around here. Shiloh leads us in a song with the rest of the group, and the song goes like this. It says, when you walk into the room, everything changes. Now, the song is not about me or any of you, okay? I'm sure things have changed before when we walked into a room, but this, this is a song about Jesus Christ, and this is precisely what has happened to Saul. Jesus has walked into his room and everything for this man has changed. He has been saved. He's been set free. He has been healed. He's been made brand new, filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and this is why we read what we read ab about Saul. Only Jesus Christ can devastate a man and deliver a man at the same time. That's Saul. His, his whole seek and destroy mission, he completely abandons it when he, when he meets Jesus, and at the same time, he just dives right on into the kingdom of God. This is the change that Jesus makes. His whole life has gone from a wasteland to a garden, and now he's got to bring the same life that he found when he met Jesus Christ to a dying world around him. That's how Saul got like he got. Now, let me tell you why I think Saul is presented to us. I believe that Saul is presented to us in Acts chapter 9 for two reasons. He comes to us to inspire us and to discourage us, okay? So, Saul is presented to us as both an inspiration and a discouragement, okay? Let's deal with the inspiration first. Some of us hear this story about Saul all that he did. I mean, just the brand new guy. We read, we read this passage, we hear this preached, and we just, man, we feel inspired. We just, we feel like everything is new. We read this and we go, you know what? Everything is possible in Jesus Christ. There is nowhere I can't go if he calls me there. There is nothing I can't do if he leads me and I'll listen to him. There's nobody I can't reach if, if I just let his love go through me. So, we hear this passage, and it is pure nectar, okay? I mean, it is nectar. It's honey from the comb. It's inspiration. It's any other wonderful superlative or descriptor you could put together. Now, other people read Acts chapter 9, and we're discouraged, we read this, and we just feel like that's it. You know, this story, it proves what I've always known. I am at a dead end in my life. I long so much for this in my life. I pray so hard to be used like this. I strive so much to be this alive, this free, this fulfilled, 
is powerful in ministry, but I am nowhere close. Years have passed in my life as a Christian, and I am anything but Saul. And our heart is whispering to us, you know what? There is something dreadfully wrong with you or with me. And listen, if that's true, then I want you to know something, and I want me to know something, okay? So if you're saying that, man, something is wrong here, I want you to know you're right. Here's why. Because these stories in Scripture, they are meant to be our stories. This is the life we are called to. What what did I say two weeks ago? You remember that? I said, when you look at the world, nothing has really changed. Go back 2,000 years, look at today, nothing has really changed. The world is pretty much the same. Yeah, different, you know, different forms of darkness, but it's, it's the same world. God, is He the same? Absolutely, always the same, forever the same, today, yesterday, and forever. And when it comes to our calling, well, no one's going to try to argue that our calling is any different, but our call to prayer and our call to the Great Commission, our, our call to do great things in Jesus' name. And so, so we ask ourselves, well, well, what is the problem here? Well, I think the problem goes right back to the Damascus Road. I think it goes right back to Jesus' meeting with Saul, the very first one. You remember Saul? I just reenacted because I'm such a great actor. Saul is ambling to Jerusalem, right? He's got his pitchforks, uh, you know, his pitch, pitchfork, and he's got his torch blazing. I'm going to kill all those Christians. He doesn't make it to Damascus because he gets interrupted. Jesus interrupts him, okay? Now, I will argue this. No matter how evil you are, how big you are, if Jesus Christ shows up resurrected in his full glory, no matter who you are, how big you are, you're dropping everything and you are humbled, okay? You are going to stop what you're doing. No one can stand against that. But see, here's the thing. Unless Jesus in that moment profoundly changes Saul. Do you know what would happen the minute Jesus left? Here's what would happen. Saul would look around, and as soon as he saw the coast was clear, okay, there's no more Jesus, go pick it right back up and go after it. Saul would do that. He would go right back to his heart. Why? He's full of hate. He's full of bitterness. I mean, Saul is being himself on the way to Damascus. He will complete his mission. And I know we say, well, he's blind. You know what? Even if he was rendered blind forever, he would find a way to direct the attack as a blind man. But why doesn't Saul continue that nasty mission? What place in Saul does Jesus touch that changes everything that's exactly right? Jesus touches his heart. Jesus touches the one place that makes him who he is. What does Scripture say? The heart is the seat of passion, right? Out out of the overflow of the heart, everything that we say comes out, you know, right? I mean, the heart is who we are. So Jesus, in that moment, he touches, he cleanses, he loves, he fills to overflowing the engine that motivates Saul. Jesus gets his heart. And so from Acts, I'll say 9, 6 on, you know what we have with Saul? I mean, yeah, we got great action. We got persecution. But you know, those are actually sub-themes. What you have in Saul's life from Acts chapter 9, verse 6 on, it's just a great big love story. You know that? It, it is a loving, madcap adventure between a man and his God. And there's so much love to go around that, 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 that the love between God and, 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 and Saul and, and the, the service and everything, it, it just flows out and impacts a whole lot of people.
That's Saul's story. It's the, the, the quick cliff notes of his life. But I do think this is what ails a lot of Christians today. I think right here, this is what gets us. I think many of us become Christians and we say, you know what, I'm going to live for Jesus now. But we try to live for Jesus out of changed values. We try to live for Jesus out of, uh, you know, out of, out of some changed habits. We try to live for Jesus out of a changed mind. But the gospel is all about changed hearts. You know, if the Pharisees teach us anything, and sometimes we'll say that, why in the world do we have so much, so much Pharisee? I don't want to read about the Pharisees in the New Testament. Let me tell you something. The Pharisees never underestimate the positive impact of a negative example, all right? The Pharisees are there, and they teach us at least one thing, if nothing else, that religious information, religious rules, religious rituals, they all lead to one place. They lead to a wasteland where God does not dwell. You know, I mentioned a dead end earlier. Y'all, that, 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 that's where religion takes you. It takes us to a dead end. And so what do we need? Where do we need it? Right here, right here. We need new hearts. And some of us have had those new hearts, but we need to be made new again. But see, I've got some bad news for you, okay? Let, we're going to pretend this is a car battery, okay? Here's the problem with our hearts. Um, when, your batter, when the battery in your car dies, unless you just so happen to be at AutoZone or Pet, Pet Boys when it dies, that's not going to happen, okay? When your car battery dies, there's only one thing we can do about it, right? If we have jumper cables, we take those cables and we connect them to the car battery. And once we do that, the car battery fills up, it charges the life, and we can drive away, right? That's all we got to do. Just connect those cables to the battery. No. No. All we can do is connect the nodes, but we got to have another power source. So we got to have some other source of life to pump life from that living place into that dead place. My point is this. We cannot jumpstart our own hearts. We can't. Listen, I've tried it a thousand times. I've done this. You know what? I'm, God, I'm just going to pray and pray and pray and pray, and I'm going to pray the right way, and my heart's going to come to life. Lord, I'm going to go to church more than I used to. God, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a day, and I'm going to memorize it the next day. You know, <laughs> Guys, we can do all this stuff to try and jumpstart our hearts, but we can't. And so here's what we're going to do today, okay? We are going to end with an amazing heart song, all right? It is, it is a song that just captures everything we've read, and captures who Jesus is and what Jesus does to people. And I want to invite you today to do the only thing that works. If you feel like your battery's half-charged or half-dead, or you find yourself wanting to be a Saul after the fact, but you're really more like somebody else, I want to invite you during this song to just be like a hungry child. Father, would you feed me in this moment? Lord, I'm going to open up the shutters of my heart. God, would you meet me? Would you bring me to life? Lord, would you make me who I was always meant to be, a person of destiny? Father, would you change the world through me? But God, I need you to touch this heart. So during this song, I want to invite you to just open up your heart. Let God meet you and let him do some heart surgery on you and on me. I'm not just preaching at you, I'm preaching to me, okay? So I want us to do this. Listen, some folks are going to come up front who will pray for us. 
Um, if you need prayer, come up and get it. If you need a little extra worship space, please use the space, people, all right? But let, let's let this be our moment of just receiving from the Lord. If you guys will stand up together. I just want to tell you what I, I hear the Lord saying to us today that He will not waste this moment in your life. You may have expectations of what His touch should feel like, but I just hear the Lord saying back to you, I will not waste this moment. Your heart's desire is to be loved thoroughly, and I will love you. I will be a father, a husband. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And so, Father, just underneath that word, we say thank you. We say thank you in advance. And, Father, just as a shepherd to, to your sheep, Lord God, in Jesus' name, I just speak to hearts by faith and say beat again in Jesus' name. Begin to beat, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that you are the God of life. You are the God of resurrection. And so, Father, by faith today, we will just turn and walk out these doors as living people. God, it is the greatest thing to be your children. Thank you that you are not only God, but you are our Abba. You are our Papa. We love you back today. In Jesus' name. Amen.